0: Well, you know, that's one family that takes uh, partners, not passengers, seriously. But uh, husband, wife, and baby all <laughs> up front. Good on you guys. Thanks for modelling that. Thanks for serving us. Okay, um, look, if the stats are correct, then just over half of Aussies, that'd be probably half of us here, half of us waste money regularly. Did you know that? Statistically, we all waste money regularly. How much are we talking about? Well, on average... a month or $3,312 a year. That's how much we waste regularly. On what? What do we waste money on? Well, things that we don't need. For example, takeaway meals or Ubers and taxis when you can just walk or take public transport or or gambling or, or paying for things you can do yourself or not waiting for the sales to buy clothes and other things, but buying them when they're most expensive. And the report I read said the most wasteful generation, can anyone guess? The most wasteful generation would be Gen Z. Sorry, Gen Z. You're the most wasteful. Then the second most wasteful, this surprised me, was actually not millennials, not Gen Y, but Gen X. That's my generation. The millennials came in third, but the least wasteful are the baby boomers. So if you're a boomer, good on you for being the least wasteful. Um, Look, I want you to... To talk to someone next to you, uh, quick question, uh, and if there's someone on, on their own, just you, you know, make sure they're all looked after. A really easy question. What is the most embarrassing slash unnecessary thing that you've ever spent money on? The most embarrassing slash unnecessary thing you've ever spent money on that you kind of regret. Why don't you find someone and talk to, to, talk to them about it? All right, we don't have, we don't have too long. I, I, I'd be interested in hearing a couple of, who wants to dob someone in? What's? What's something that you heard someone share, you can dob someone in, that you thought, wow, that is pretty embarrassing. Come on, give it to me. Oh, there's someone, somebody here, right? Come on, share it. You don't have to say who said it, but what is it? The NESA teacher accreditation fee. The teacher accreditation fee? I thought that was like completely necessary. No, it's not? Okay, what else? What else? You teachers, come on. Someone in my family I won't say who um, spent money uh, trying to get a tax file number when it was actually free to get. (laughs) It got scammed. scammed. Yeah, I won't say who did that. Any others? Come on. I bought books that uh, were already on my shelf. I bought digitally. Yep. Come on. Why why is it all about my family? Come on. (laughs) Don bought a QR code. What, What did it link to? Can't remember. Okay, you bought a QR code. Others? Other things? Yes, Nari. I bought a pen that probably didn't see had a pens to use. Nari just bought a pen to add to her collection, but she didn't really didn't need it. Okay. Look, I'm sure we all have embarrassing things that we spent money on, things that we've regretted. Could have been used on something much better, more significant, more lasting. There was a syndicate in my local um, area, bought Bought a syndicate for the $200 million lottery thing and uh, people got a $1.20 back after spending $20 or $30. So anyway, well today I want to show you what we can all invest in that will be actually significant and last into eternity. We all want that, don't we? For what we spend money on in this, especially in this economic climate, to really count. So we're going to do that. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that as we think about the topic of giving... That we might do so with hearts that are ready to hear you speak, not to give out of guilt or obligation, but because we have freely received. And therefore we want to freely give because your heart is our heart. Amen. All right. So I've got a few points um, for you. I want to talk firstly about the Philippians who uh, we met just reading the passage. Then we'll look at us and then we'll look at this uh, amazing guarantee at the end. So, um. Let's have a look again at those verses. Verse 14, Paul writes, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Okay, three things I want to point out, three features of the Philippians giving partnership, generosity, and pleasing. So, firstly, Partnership. Now, Paul uses in that passage the word that's translated "share" twice, verse fourteen, verse fifteen. That word there is actually the word that we get our English word "fellowship" from. Okay, it's if you don't have to learn Greek, but this is one of the nice Greek words that you you know handy to keep around. It's the word "koinonia," koinonia. Okay, sounds cool, doesn't it? Koinonia means fellowship, it means sharing, but actually, more at the heart of koinonia is an idea of partnership. A deep sharing that's like a partnership. So Paul is considering these Philippians partners in his work, right? That what he is doing and what they are doing is actually linked. And verse 15, he says that straight away, this church, this young church, by the way, hadn't been around for very long, was the only one to support him as he went around preaching the gospel as a missionary. Even when he went to this next stop after Philippi, he went to the city called Thessalonica, right? They already wanted to send him support, right? They were exemplary. Now, I don't know if you realize this. Uh, When it comes to comparing, do you know that we all have a tendency when it comes to morals to compare down, when it comes to money to compare up? Do you find yourself doing that, right? When you think, I'm a good person, you always look at people who are less good than you. We compare morals down. Anytime you think about your money, though, what do you do? You always compare up, don't you? Right? That person's richer than me. No matter how rich you are, there's always someone richer. No matter how bad you are, there's always someone worse. Isn't that interesting? We compare down in morals, compare up in riches. Well, I want us today to compare up when it comes to this idea of generosity. Because as we look at the Philippians... We want to see their example and we want to compare up. We want them to spur us on to love and good deeds. So look what they did. Firstly, they took the initiative. They did not wait for fundraising drive to happen. In fact, no one else was doing it. It Didn't seem like Paul even asked for it or expected it. They just did it. Now here's the thing, right? We're all very good at taking initiative to look after the needs of ourselves and our, if you have kids, our kids. Like, you you don't wait till your kids are wearing rags or freezing in winter before you buy them jackets, do you? We take the initiative. And we're very proactive when it comes to meeting our own needs as well. But when it comes to meeting the needs of others, let's admit it, we're kind of reactive, aren't we? We just often wait until things are desperate. What, What if I was to love my neighbor as I love myself? Wouldn't I take the initiative to meet someone else's need rather than wait until, you know, because we do that for ourselves. So, take the initiative. Secondly, though, their giving was very thoughtful. Um, Paul calls them gifts. Now, they may not have been, probably not just money. You can't, you know, deposit money in a bank like that. You can't direct deposit. You can't, you know... um, Probably it's all sorts of gifts that that, that followed their concern, that showed their concern for Paul and what he was doing. So it's probably things like clothes or books or food or basic necessities. Um, And and it's helpful to remember that because sometimes it's easy just to give money, isn't it? And those uh, mission partners that our church supports, like Care and High, um, the Yo's, Jamin in the future, they also need thoughtfulness as well and so i I know these families really appreciate things like letters or or when it's a kid's birthdays care packages or christmas presents right thoughtfulness really helps when it comes to supporting those that we want to show love to as well so thoughtful and thirdly you notice that giving had a gospel purpose Um, paul was actually a tent maker that means he had another job that he could do in the day to support himself And in fact, he made it generally an aim so that he would not need support so that he could, you know, especially those he preached the gospel to, he wouldn't expect them to give back to him. He wanted them to sort of pay it forward to the next people. But generally, he he could support himself and he often did. But what the Philippians support allowed Paul to do was that he could take a pause from his tent making so he could do the gospel ministry full time. All right. Not that he couldn't support himself, not that he couldn't work another job, but it freed him up to be able to do it. And that's really important because some people think that ministers like me get paid for our work. We don't, actually. Or missionaries like Jamin get paid for his work. No, 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 that's not how it works. We do not get a salary. We get something called a stipend. And it's a big difference, actually. See, a stipend is you're giving me support so that I don't have to work another job and pay pay for things that me and my family need. So I can focus all of my time to leading and preaching and teaching and evangelizing and making disciples. That's the same with all of our missionaries. We're not paying them to do a job. We're supporting them with a support stipend, Right? so that they can be freed up to do the ministry of the gospel full-time. And because I'm on a stipend, I'll tell you what, my income does not increase with more work or a change of role. If you want a career advancement where you get more and more money, you don't choose to become a pastor. And uh, when I do outside preaching engagements, speak at another camp or even preach at some of your weddings or funerals or that kind of thing, and people give me an honorarium, right? Right? That actually goes straight back into the church. I don't keep honorariums for myself because I'm not getting paid to do that. Right? The church already gives me a stipend so I don't have to work in another job. So anything additional I get goes back as an offertory back to church because I don't get paid. Otherwise, you know, I'd, I'd spend all my time doing weddings and getting honorariums. Right? And that'd be a really bad use of my time. Not that weddings aren't important, but there are more important things for me to do. Right? So that's, that, we need that mind shift because I think some of you for this... Maybe the first time you've heard that ministers aren't getting paid a salary for their work, we're getting supported. Right? Any other way, we start thinking in economic terms. Because you start thinking, well, is the minister giving us value for money? Uh, if he gets more converts or the church grows, do we give him a raise? Okay, That doesn't work like that. All right? It's for a gospel purpose, support to free us up to do the gospel ministry full time. Okay, so we also want to look at the Philippians um, because not only was their partnership like this and a model for us, you'll notice their generosity was actually quite painful for them. They were generous to more than just Paul. They were in fact generous also to those who were poor and were famine-stricken Christians in Jerusalem. And I want you to show you how generous they were. We actually had a look at this last week as an example of, of a church that was so generous. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Uh, That's including them, the Philippians. Out of their most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. The saints, Christians in Jerusalem. They were poor. This was not a wealthy church in a wealthy region. And yet they begged Paul, please allow us to give. That is painful generosity. That's giving until it hurts and even beyond. Now, what would motivate someone to be so painfully generous? Well, for the Philippians, firstly, I think they had a sense of family. Okay, They had a sense of family. These are Christians in Jerusalem. What did they have to do with Christians in Jerusalem? Well, they knew that Christians all over the world are actually one family, and if if one part of the Christian family hurts, I hurt as well. So even though we don't speak the same language, we don't share the same culture, we're still one family, and that's really important to remember, right? We are all one family, and so one of the things that you may decide to give towards are people who are persecuted and doing it really, really tough in parts of the world where it's illegal and they could face death for being a Christian. An organization like Open Doors especially comes and meets their needs. Now, they're not the same as us, they don't live here, we don't know them, they speak a different language or a different culture, but if they're family, then what happens to them happens to us, right? So generosity geared towards a sense of family. Secondly though, The Philippians, why would they give so painfully generous? They also had a sense of history, right? family and history. Because remember, the gospel came from the Jews. The first church was a church in Jerusalem. They knew that they're Christians here today because of those Christians back then. And so churches in China and Korea, this is really great. They actually have this um, vision. It's called Back to Jerusalem. Right? They know that the gospel has come to East Asia because of the church in Jerusalem, all those 2,000 years ago. But now, the, the gospel is much stronger in places like East Asia than it is on the way to Jerusalem, the Middle East. And so they want to bring the gospel through the hardest countries back to Jerusalem because they have a sense of history. And some of us here, you might have really benefited from things like youth ministry or university campus ministries. right, Or mission work of others. Great reminder to maybe feed back into them because you have a sense of history. Okay, family, history, and thirdly, most importantly, they had a sense of grace. Right? It's only God's grace that causes us to freely give. Right? In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, the passage I read earlier, he talks about giving as grace. Because grace just means generosity. And when God's generosity uh, overflows into us, it overflows out of us to others. And ultimately, uh, later on in that passage in 2 Corinthians, it's because of God's grace to us in the Lord Jesus. And we looked at this last week. That though he was rich, for our sake he became poor. So that through his poverty, we might become rich. Once you understand that we have freely received, it does cause us to freely give. Okay, so one more point on the Philippians. And that is, right, that they, what they give is not just partnerships, not just generous, it's also pleasing to God. So have a look at those verses again. Paul says, not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I'm amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to god now it's interesting that paul uses the language of sacrifice right and when he's talking about the gifts he used that old testament bible language of sacrifice. in the old testament there are two types of sacrifices that are done in the temple first type of sacrifice was for sin the second type of sacrifice was for thanksgiving and dedication right sin and thanksgiving dedication now there's no more need for sacrifices for sin, that first kind. Why? Well, because of Jesus. Right? You and I know right, that Jesus has already paid the once for all sacrifice. He is the perfect sacrificial lamb. And so if you f- feel guilty or you feel sinful, um, giving money to church doesn't do anything. All right? Do not give money because you feel guilty and you want to atone for sin. That's not how it works. Jesus already did. First type of sacrifice not needed, sin. The second type of sacrifice at the temple, well, that also got transformed. So that what God desires isn't just what we give as a gift, but he says in Romans chapter 12 that the kind of worship he wants is our entire selves. That's the acceptable kind of worship, not just goods or money or animals as in the case of Old Testament. He wants all of us. But part of thanksgiving and dedication and dedicating our entire selves to God well, of course, that should overflow into financial generosity, right? Because right, if we want to give our whole selves to God, then of course it would involve our wallets as well. And so the attitude that we ought to have when it comes to giving is this. All of me and all that I have, God already owns. It all belongs to God. Right? And so you're not giving, technically, you're not giving something of yours to God. You're actually saying, God, it's all yours anyway. Here's a part that I would love for you to use. Right? That's that's how it works. Now, the, the amazing thing is, of course, when he uses the sacrifice language, Paul says your financial generosity is precious in God's eyes. He accepts it and he loves it. He loves it. It actually pleases him. And that's really important because, do you know what? One of the reasons why materialism and greed is an idol, is because deeper than materialism and greed is an idol, often is the idol of approval, right? Why do you need to wear those clothes? Well, it's because they're the cool clothes. Why do you need to own that car? It's because other people have that car. So often we want to have the money, not just for ourselves, because, right, we want to be able to to, to, to have people's approval or culture's approval. Well, a great way of undercutting materialism and greed driven by approval is what? Let your only approval that matters come from God. And so if you really understand this, that God's approval and He loves it when His people give generously, and if you're satisfied and happy with God's approval, that also weans you away from needing the approval of the world when it comes to greed and materialism, doesn't it? But I also want to tap into the idea of sacrifice. Okay, sacrifice means it's costly, but sacrifice means it's relative to your income and relative to your attitude. Remember Jesus said that the widow that gave one penny had sacrificed more than all the other people putting money into the temple. Why? Because relative to her money, which she had hardly any, and given her attitude, that was worth more to God. Or, Or Cain versus Abel. Back in Genesis, Cain and Abel both offered to God something. Whereas Abel offered the best of what he had, Cain just gave a part of what he had. Okay? It wasn't the amount, it was the attitude. See, if you give willingly and sacrificially, God is pleased with it. And that actually means, funnily enough, some of us are giving way less, but God is more pleased. That's actually possible, isn't it? You give way less, but because you're giving relative to your income, your circumstances, like the Philippians was giving out of poverty... Your little matters more to God, right, than the million dollars that someone like Elon Musk might give. Because that means nothing to him. See what I mean? Okay, let's keep going. We talked about the Philippians. Let's talk about us. So the Bible calls us to be generous. And in the New Testament, it doesn't say how much. And it doesn't specify to whom. So here are just some principles that I'm going to share with you that I recommend. Now, before I go into that, some of you are going, here we go. This is the minister asking for money. Can I just say, in the nine years of me leading the Sweck Bankstown side of our partnership, I've checked, this is the first sermon in nine years I've preached on giving to the church. Specifically, when it's not about giving to the poor. All right, this is the first sermon in nine years. And also I'm speaking to church members and to Christians for whom this is your primary church. If you're visiting, it's not for you, okay? And I'm also assuming that if you're a follower of Jesus that you, and you're listening to this, you want to give. Now, if you feel after the sermon, no, no, I'm just feeling guilty and obligated and I don't want to give, can I just say don't give because God doesn't want money that comes out of non-cheerful giving? Right? God wants a cheerful giver. Okay, having said all that, how much? In the Old Testament, people tithe. Tithe literally means 10%. Now, here's the funny thing. In the New Testament, we are not commanded to tithe. And I think the reason is because the greater blessings of the New Testament, of the New Covenant, calls for greater generosity. And so God, in a sense, don't want us to be tithed down. Get it? tied down? Tithe down? Anyway. Um, rather, it's better to think about giving in proportion to your income. See, if you you want to, start with 10%. It's not a law, but it's it's not a bad um, rule of thumb. But if your income keeps on increasing, can I just suggest don't keep raising your standard of living. (laughs) Give more than 10%. I'll give you an example. John Wesley, the famous revivalist, preacher, pastor, founder of Methodism, he worked out when he was uh, quite young, a, a university student, that he needed 30 pounds, back then, 30 pounds a year to live on. That's all he needed. As a student, as a single man. And he would give to the poor everything else that came. Now, when he was a student, he barely got 30 pounds a year. But when he, um, when he became quite well known, um, he would actually get a lot of honorariums. He'd get a lot of um, um, uh, money from, from selling sermons and books and stuff like that. Um, and so when his income increased to annually about 120 pounds, guess what he didn't do? He didn't suddenly decide, well, here's my chance to buy some really nice sneakers because all the cool preachers in America have nice sneakers and drive expensive cars and have big houses. No, he said, I can live on 30 pounds, so I'm going to give away 90 pounds. And then one year, his income increased to 1,400 pounds. Guess what he did? He gave away 1,370 pounds, that. When he died, he gave away something like 30,000 pounds. And he only had a few coins in his pocket. That's all he had. He didn't have a big inheritance to leave his kids. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But that's the point. If Wesley thought, I'm just going to keep giving 10% when he earned 1,400 pounds, he would never have been able to be as generous as he was. Okay, So know how much as a rule. Have a think about how much you can give. Um, There's two ways to think about um, giving as well in terms of how how much. There's habitual giving and spontaneous giving. It is a good idea to start a habit of giving if you haven't already. So why not, as a base, give 10% and then give more on top as needs arise. Um, Set up a direct deposit thing with church accounts. That's often an easiest way of doing that. Um, even if you've got kids when they're young especially if they do get pocket money or other kinds of money teach them to start giving now if you have a habit of giving already do you review it annually because maybe your pay has gone up or down and it's a helpful thing to review it annually okay what about spontaneous giving It's also good to give as needs arise right give as god puts on your heart to give give as when you get unexpected income like you get a pay rise or a tax return or out of thanksgiving you know because your baby was born or you got healed or you got blessed in a special way And you were like i know god doesn't expect it of me but i'd like to i'd like to give some extra that's spontaneous giving all right Uh, one time of the year that people often think about giving more to especially to the poor is, is is the period called lent Okay, right. And that's the 40 days running up to Good Friday. So that may be a suggestion as well. What about to whom? Who do we give to? Well, three suggestions. Again, these are not law. The Bible doesn't talk about them specifically. But good ideas, biblical principles point us to giving to the poor, giving locally and giving globally. Um, I won't talk too much about giving to the poor. Um, but it's really important. right? Jesus talks about giving to the poor. The New Testament talks about the poor so much. Both inside the church, we look after the poor among us first, but also outside of the church. There's certainly a lot of people in financial struggles in Bankstown. That should be part of our concern. Now, if you give money, here's a hint. Give through organizations. Try not to give directly. Okay, so if you see someone coming asking you for money, they may actually be having a lot of needs. But it's also possible that they could just be spending that money on things that are not going to be very helpful for them. So as much as possible, give through organizations, not directly, unless you really know, right? Or or if someone's on the street and they're homeless and you want to give them something, um, go offer them to buy them a meal and bring it to them. That's often a more helpful way of helping them. Or just talk to them. Some of them just want a conversation, okay? Um, Secondly, locally, um, your support for your church, your local church, should come first, Especially if you are, a, you know, regular, a regular member of this church. If you want to be a partner, not a passenger. See, as opportunities grow in Bankstown, we would love to, for example, in the near and near future, employ a children's worker. Now it's going to take some money to do that. But there are so many opportunities. And we would love to have a children's worker in the future. As well as other people that we can support so that they can devote their time to do that. Alright, so your local church... And then, of course, globally. Well, this is why we had Jamin come up. Because like the Philippians, we can be partners in gospel work much further than our backyard. This is so exciting for me. I don't know anything about the Spice Islands, right, personally. I don't know any of these unreached unreached people groups or unengaged people groups. But when Jamin goes and we partner with him, we get to do that work through him. That's really exciting, isn't it? That there are people who've never heard the name of Jesus who get to hear about Jesus because we're partnered in this. So it's not just Jamin doing it, or Chandai doing it, or the Yo's doing it. We're doing it through them. Now, I want to tell you about something I mentioned just briefly last week. And that is, we're going to need, right, giving on top of our general budget. So currently, our general budget. Um, We tithe our general budget. 10% of our general budget goes towards global missions. That's worked really well for the past little while. But now we have more people we want to support and their needs have increased. And so that 10% of our general budget, which we still give, is not actually able to meet all of their needs. Just to give you an idea of what the difference is. The budgeted amount that comes from our general budget is $46,000 this year. But what they need for us to be able to be committed to them and supporting them and their families, right? And there's a number of them. And if you include Jamin, there's five, 86,000. There's a difference of $40,000 just this year. And so we're starting what's called the Global Missions Fund. And what that is, is to try and meet the 40,000. And we're going to do it via pledges. We would love to be able to say to all our mission partners, here is the full amount we can give you this year because people have pledged towards it. And this will be giving, we pray, on top of what you already give. Again, this is spontaneous, on top of giving. But if you have a vision for this, there's a way for you, and we're going to talk about this over the next few weeks, for you to pledge. You don't have to give it all now. We just want an idea. What might you be able to give? And you can decide to do it monthly or quarterly or annually as a one-off. Whatever it is, just pledge an amount. That God puts on your heart so that we can meet that 40000 And if we get over that, we won't keep the money. It will still be saved for them to pledge for the year after. You get what I mean? Um, okay, so have a think about that as a pledge. Oh, by the way, we're not going to chase you up. If you pledge X amount, we're not going to say at the end of the year, Hey, you pledge this amount. Can you please? No, no, no. This is just so that we can budget. This is just so that you can have an opportunity to partner even further. All right, I'll just leave that with you. And we'll give you some more notice about that. But finally, very quickly, notice this guarantee. Notice this verse. And my God will meet all your needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Just pause and have a look at that again. After He said all that He said to the Philippians, my God will meet all your needs. After you've been all generous and painfully generous, my God will meet all your needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. See, we can give sacrificially... Yes, because Jesus is worth it, but also because we have a God who is rich, according to his glorious riches. um, We all know what it's like to supply needs according to limited riches. Okay, so I'll give you an example. One of your kids needs a laptop for school. What kind of laptop are you going to buy for them will be usually limited by your riches and by your limited riches. So for my kids, it's usually Facebook Marketplace, find something cheap, right? What will Elon Musk give to his kids according to his enormous wealth? I'll bet you it's not Facebook Marketplace, unless he's really cheap. But you see, the difference between giving out of your limited riches versus Elon Musk's glorious riches means that you can meet needs differently. Well, here's the thing. God has glorious, unlimited riches. Now, before you get our prosperity gospel on me, don't worry. Unlike us, he knows what's best for us. It says, meets all your needs, not all your wants. All right? Because he loves us, he supplies our needs, not all of our wants. Because as we know, giving someone all of their wants is actually going to destroy them. God knows even better. But what it does mean is that when we are generous according to His will and it costs us and it creates a lack, here's the guarantee. God will, according to His unlimited riches, He will 100% always make sure that you have what you need, no matter how generous. You cannot outgive God. That's a wonderful guarantee, isn't it? Especially if God is moving you to give beyond what you thought you could, beyond what you... um, Do you want to give more? Don't worry. God will look after your needs. You can trust him on that. All right, let's pray. Father God, as we um, come to this idea of giving, help us to remember that we have freely and generously received. Help us to be excited about partnering with those who are preaching the gospel overseas, especially. And help us to see that all of this means that What we give, which is already yours anyway, what we give actually is making a difference for all eternity. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing.